Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti, along with manual laborer T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, a busy weekend for you at the homestead, huh? Yeah, uh, we were just talking before the show about how I have weird hobbies. Like, most people for 4th of July, they'll go boating, or they'll go for a hike, or they'll have mac salad with their family. And I spent the weekend building a uh, handmade stone retaining wall next to my garage. And that was, I I took Friday and Monday off. So, like, I I had an extended weekend, and I've been working on this project for a while. So, like, that's my idea of fun is intense manual labor and lifting stuff and, and building things. Uh, complete novice, but, like, it's that's that's what I've decided to do with my home ownership is, is uh, do all the DIY stuff and do it the hardest way possible. Very good. Well, we're going to have a little bit different kind of fun. Instead of exercising those muscles, we'll exercise your Penn State football brain power today. How's that for a segue, T. Frank? I think that works. This is actually what I'm better at. I did. I didn't go into any sort of uh, landscaping or manual labor jobs because this is what I'm better at. Very good. Well, let's get right to it. There's a couple of news items that came up last week. We've talked about them a little bit on the other shows, but I wanted to get your take. Uh, first off, Devin Ford, who opted out after four games. I think that was the indicator by mm. opting out after four games into the season, he maintained an extra season of eligibility. He finally uh, made his way to Notre Dame. And I got to admit, that surprised me a bit to go to transfer to that high level of program when he never really uh, made his mark here at Penn State. I wanted to get your thoughts. Were you, first of all, were you surprised that he ended up at that level of program. I'm always surprised because I keep forgetting about uh, <laughs> that Devin Ford uh, transferred uh, because everything happened so long ago. Uh, yes. Uh, so, yes and no. He's a good football player. And when he was on the field, like I felt like he contributed and was good. He was never going to be a lead back. He was not going to be the guy they needed. But at the same time, he ran hard. He did the little things really well, um, but all that adds up to like a third back. So is that he didn't transfer from Penn State to be the third back. So uh, I don't know Notre Dame's running back situation. Um, If they need a Devin Ford, then, um, you know, I think it's a how do you say buy low sort of situation in the transfer portal because he's a former four star running back. You know, I talked about this. I think I've described Nick Singleton this way a little bit of like. If he's going to run that way, he needs to have a lot more leg power to run through tackles with an upright running style. Now, that's what I said about Devin Ford as a freshman, because he's got that track speed and track stance. But he was never able to generate big plays because when you tackle him, he falls to the ground. He doesn't break the tackle. Um, That hasn't changed. Like that evaluation hasn't changed. I I don't I don't think that that's going to be something that um, at, at Notre Dame, they're their lifting program isn't going to add all of that weight and make him Adrian Peterson. So, you know, Nick Singleton has overcome that by being bigger and stronger and 
you know, lowering his pad level a bit. Devin Ford never really got there. You know, I think he can contribute, but I don't think he's going. I don't think him being a lead back is going to be a benefit for Notre Dame. So I, I don't know how he fits in to their offense. I don't know what he's going to do at that school. So I can't say it's going to be a disaster, but um, he's got talent. It's just, it didn't quite work out at Penn state. And I'm, I'm curious to see how they use him um, at Notre Dame. I don't know that they'll find a better way than Penn state did. Truthfully. I did a, a quick look up of the Notre Dame uh, running back situation it looked like a pretty full room until uh, one of their lead backs, if not lead back by the name of Logan Diggs, transferred to LSU. So I don't think it created an opening at the very top of the depth chart, but it probably is an opening to maybe be the second or third guy in a running back by committee atmosphere. But Which is where, he what he would have done not- here at Penn State, which is just – it's just the the – the f- I don't want to say the, the funny part of the transfer portal, but kind of the reality is, you know, maybe Devin Ford thought he was going to be doing more somewhere else, but he didn't want to go to a lower level. I don't know. You know, like the, those those are a lot of like you have to know him and know what he wanted from the transfer portal. Maybe he just genuinely wanted a new scenery. It had nothing to do with where he is on the roster. He just wanted to go somewhere different. Maybe that's the case. But like it, what you're describing is kind of what I just surmise based on context clues that. Yeah, he'll be the second or third back, but I don't know that he's going to be the the guy anywhere. And that's the part that surprises me. But with that said, you could look at the reverse situation coming into Penn State is Trey Potts, Mm -hmm. who probably had a better chance. In Minnesota, they're probably having that same conversation about him, where they're saying, gee, he could have had the same or even better role here at Minnesota. Why the move to Penn State? And, again, you can't uh, question a kid for making the decision that's best for him. But what you can do is observe that it's unusual. Typically, I would have thought he'd go to a program where he had a chance to be the definitive number one guy, even if it meant going to a, a lower echelon program. But we, he was always a favorite of this show, of the folks here on this show. So we wish him well and success with the Fighting Irish. A couple other news items that we have talked about on the show before. But I wanted to get your take on what it means competitively. And let's start with the scheduling. It turns out the Michigan State game, final game of the season, Penn State on the road at Michigan State. We won't get into the whole NBC contract thing. We talked yeah. about that quite a bit already. My question to you, T. Frank, is this went from Saturday afternoon at Michigan State's on-campus facility. It's now moved to Friday night at Ford Field indoors in Detroit. My take on it is that's got to be a huge win for Penn State as far as competitiveness goes, what's your thoughts? I think it, it's funny. Most of the time I want to talk about what's on the field and like those sort of things being in a dome. That is a huge advantage for Penn state in the whole, right? So you would say Penn state's probably the more athletic and talented team. So uh, we have no idea what the team is going to look like when you get to the end of November after 
a, you know, a grueling schedule and injuries are going to happen. So we don't necessarily know what the team is going to look like. But yeah, you would say a team like Penn State that wants to be explosive, explosive and score points. They've had so many crazy Michigan weather games in Michigan State that it has been a part of the story of what's on field. But to me, more than anything, this is absolutely 100% about this game's coming after the NFL Black Friday game. The Big Ten and NBC and, and the powers that be that want to create TV. This is a great primetime game. Like, you know, I know it's not the game. I know it's not Ohio State, Michigan. But in terms of Penn State's going to be in the conversation for something, you know, whether it's the third the second, it would be a huge upset if they were not a part of the Big Ten Championship conversation this year. And to have that game on Friday night setting up what should be a, you know, the, the it, it all just works so well for television. As you said, indoors, NFL stadium, all that stuff. Like this is a, pu- obviously this is a purely TV move. Um, and it's one that I think uh, looks really good for the Big Ten. For the actual teams, it's the same thing as in, in the NFL. Less time to recover, less time to game plan, less time to prepare for your season's final opponent. And for a recruiting standpoint, obviously not being at Michigan State, there are certain disadvantages for the Spartans. Now, it's up to them to spin all of this to a positive. Truth be told, like this is like 10% about what's on the field. Everything else is about what's off the field for the Big Ten, contracts, Penn State, all that stuff. So, you know, it's a super interesting decision and situation. I don't think there's any doubt, as you pointed out, Penn State will probably be the more talented team. Playing indoors, taking that weather variable out of it, takes away a lot of upset possibilities. So I think that's an advantage. I will make a prediction, though, that James Franklin will still complain about it because it's oh, yeah. one, one day. <laughs> but I would think, by the way, James, the other team is in the same boat as you. <laughs> they have one less day to prepare also. Yeah. I think it's also a factor that they're playing uh, – Penn State is playing Rutgers the prior week. So – I think there's a big difference between playing Rutgers and say, had they played Michigan or Ohio state the prior week and gotten beaten up by a talented team. So I think that's part of it. Plus Michigan state is not in Detroit. They're in East Lansing. They're going to have a 90 minute bus ride there. Probably pretty comparable to the length of time, the flight for Penn state getting there. So I, I think for Penn State, it, 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 it's a huge win. The other uh, game time that was announced, and this is no surprise to any of us, when Michigan game was not named the whiteout, the assumption was that would be the Fox Big Noon game, and it's finally announced that that is the case. It's not the whiteout on the field. How much of a factor is that really that they would be playing early in the day, T. Frank, rather than at night with the whiteout going on? Um, <laughs> I've never I've never played in either to tell you the difference in, in, a, in a real sense. I think that this is and I'll, I'll kind of go to a bigger picture here and not answer your question. When you're talking about television, this is all setting up who is important in the pecking order in college football. Penn State is a part of you are important in the pecking order. 
So your games are in the big noon kickoff because that's where you get the most eyeballs. You have success in these games. You play hard in these games. You play fun football in these games. You create new fans. You expand your fan base. If you're not on these games, if you're not in the number one spot, your audience is shrinking to a certain degree. So is it a trade-off that you can't have Michigan and the whiteout? Yes. But I think that is a worthwhile trade-off from a kind of structural standpoint, from your, your program level standpoint. Um, from a on-the-field thing, if you're not ready to play Michigan from a mental standpoint, noon or at night, I don't think it matters. And the crowd will be a factor either way. And I think it... Both Michigan and Penn State will probably be favored in every game leading up to that. It's possible it could be two undefeated teams. The Penn yep. State fan base will be going crazy if that's the case, no matter what time they play. All right, that's it for quarter number one, T. Frank. Stick around. we got lots more to go. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And we are back. It's quarter number two of the Keystone Kickoff Show. He is T. Frank Carr. I'm Jim Galante. We are talking Penn State football and T. Frank. The last of the players showed up or... We had the transfer portal people coming in. We had some of the incoming freshmen. Probably the biggest name that has just come in in the last couple weeks, Dante Cephas, the wide receiver, and a lot of expectations for him. And I wanted to talk to you about where he fit in with the Mm -hmm. rest of the wide receiver room and where everybody else fits in. Before we get to some of the names... I know we've gone through this before, but I want to do this again for our listeners because I got a feeling these position names are going to come up. X, Y, and Z positions for the wide receiver. Just a quick refresher. What do they mean? So when you start putting players in those positions, we'll all understand. Yeah, so this is actually, it's funny. Um, You and I are kind of on the same wavelength at times. I wrote 
like 1500 words about this over at bluewhiteillustrated.com um on Tuesday. So, um I don't normally try to like promote my own specific articles articles, but I was really proud of this one. Like I did a deep deep dive on basically Penn State's lead receiver, what that means from a tactical and kind of an emotional standpoint because the wide receiver one, the you know, the alpha receiver it surprisingly does matter over time in terms of talent and alignment. And that's where we get to these particular uh, receiver positions. So let's start with what I think people are uh, familiar with. If you're familiar with football jargon, that is the X receiver. That's your, traditionally your number one wide receiver. That is your big, strong, physical guy. Think uh, for old school fans, Michael Irvin um, is an X receiver. Um, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, well, I'll give you a couple. Andre Johnson of the Texans, formerly Miami Hurricanes, uh, X receiver, six foot two, physical, catches the ball, uh, should be fast, run deep routes, but also be able to run every route in in the route tree. Um, that's typically where you know traditionally most passing offenses run through. In the Big Ten, Marvin Harrison Jr. He's an X, um, and that's that's where you would funnel your passing game. Um, the opposite of him on the outside, on the other side is the Z, the Z receiver is, um, and this is where it's different in college football, in college football, uh, the field, the length of the field matters quite a bit for formation and where you're targeting your offensive plays, whether you're rarely are you running or throwing into the boundary because it's a compressed space, unless you're doing it in surprise most of the time. And this is a gross generalization. Most of the time plays are filtered towards the field side, just because it's so much more length. The Z operates in the field inside of that is the slot receiver. Um, and then the Y is the tight end. So when we're talking about the positions, Y is traditionally known as the, the, the tight end position. And then the slot is the slot. And then you have additional supplemental um, like an H back is a quasi tight end fullback. So those are kind of the conversations of all of the positional uh, nomenclature, but the X and the Z are the receivers. And then there's the slot receiver. Okay. So now we have Dante Cephas coming into town. He'll join. The presumption is he, Keandre Lambert Smith and Trey Wallace will be the three starters. Uh, James Franklin has just come right out and stated it, that Lambert Smith and Wallace have separated themselves from the other receivers. I believe the thought is Cephas would join them as part of that first three. So if we assume that's the case, where do those three guys go position-wise? So this is interesting because he said that with – for most of spring where you've got Trey Wallace and you've got Lambert Smith. Those are the two guys that are, they've locked down their positions. Essentially. There's no question. Then it was really what was left. And uh, there's a little bit of a, a, a knowledge gap here because Amari Evans dominated the blue white game. And James Franklin said, basically, yeah, we had a guy step up. Now we feel confident. We have three. Now it's about finding a true two deep and, and getting the sixth to play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, we moved uh, Amari to that position in the last week and a half. Well, he played the Z during the blue white game. So that would be opposite of Keandre Lambert Smith. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, opposite of Trey Wallace at the, the X and Keandre Lambert Smith 
The big talk about him is moving him into the slot to get him away from press coverage, allow him him to use his explosive athleticism in every direction for two-way goes in the slot and to kind of be a Deshaun Hamilton, uh, KJ Hamler-style player of being the team's number one receiver but operating from the slot. So those are the three guys coming out of the spring. But to me, when we're talking about Dante Cephas and why he's here, He's a veteran. He's a guy that has had success at Kent State that has a lot of routes on film against Power 5 opponents where he's very good and wins the route, gets open, gets catches, gets yards after the catch, good at breaking tackles. So they need him to be a veteran presence where they don't have that. Well, they don't have that on the outside. None of these guys that we're talking about, whether it's Malik McLean, whether it's Amari Evans, Malik Mega, any, none of these guys have proven anything at the college football level, which is why James Franklin was talking about having to get these guys out and throwing all summer and getting Dante Cephas and getting guys out of the transfer portal. So to me, Cephas, if you're going by experience level, Trey Wallace is a redshirt sophomore. He flashed some big play potential last year. He's lining up at the X. This is kind of, and this is what I get into in my article is like one of this kind of revelatory to me that I'd always thought about the X as the number one receiver is the guy that you filter the offense through. And and historically, it has been at Penn State, but not in a while. The Z is the place where you go where you want to run the offense that gets the most targets, that gets the most yardage, that has generated the most plays the last couple of seasons, especially under Mike Yersich. So that's where Amari Evans is right now. So, you know, if we're talking about number one receiver positions, historically at Penn State over the last five years or so, that's where Amari Evans is lined up. And to me, like that's thin and nothing against Amari, but he's in his second year after coming out of high school as a high school quarterback. He's still learning the position. Um, he's still learning the nuances of the position. There were multiple times he was in press coverage that he literally shoved the guy off of him in the blue white game. That is, that is a penalty. Like that's a penalty in, in, in an actual game. So I, not to like be hyper specific and cite certain things, but I just think that's where you're going to want Cephas to get him the ball as much as possible to have a one, two punch at that position. So you don't need to have a lead receiver necessarily. And it gives the option for the veteran to overtake, uh, uh, Evans and, and give you that real depth. If, if Evans has stepped up and he's the deep threat and he's a, he's a big time playmaker. Now you've got a couple of those guys on the outside. Plus key under Lambert Smith, your actual deep, best deep threat on the interior and you've got Cephas who can move the chains and make people miss and, and get extra yardage after the catch. So kind of a, a very long-winded answer, as I always do on the show. I apologize. But that's how I see everything breaking down is you've got to find more depth and experience in veteran playmaking on the outside. And that's where I think they'll start him is at that Z position. Well, if we put Cephas in at that Z position and we think of Evans as maybe the first guy off the bench among the wide receivers and a big play guy with his speed, we then have, you know, the goal of being having a two deep. And there's several candidates for the next couple guys in the pecking order. What I'm fascinated by, the names I'll bring up beyond the four that we've been talking about are McLean, the transfer from Florida State. Mm-hmm. who's the 6'4", the big guy, Clifford, who I think of as the possession receiver, and Caden Saunders, who was so highly regarded coming out of high school out of Ohio. So those three guys seem to have completely different skill sets 
Yeah. How do they fit in? So I'm actually pretty positive about Penn State's receivers, you know, in depth now, kind of looking at this and seeing how they fit and how they're going to work together and adding Cephas is the missing piece. Like that's legitimately, that's what they needed. Um, so if you go to the slot receiver, they have, they have so many slot receivers. Cephas can also play in the slot. Um, so that, that's another added dimension. You know, when we talk about like cornerbacks or, um, last year when Kalen King and Johnny Dixon were still, were split starters at the position. You might see something like that, you know, at that Z position. And then if Cephas plays in the slot and you've got at, at times you can mix and match. So when Penn State's coaches say that they don't recruit guys or they don't have guys at just one position, guys do play multiple positions, but they have to have a primary one. So you, you just rattled off uh, a ton of slot receivers. I think Penn State's fine there. It's going to be at the X you've, you've got Harrison Wallace and I, you know, I'm expecting him to take a step forward and then behind him, I thought Malik McLean did a good job during the blue-white game. Uh, didn't get a ton of opportunities uh, just because the the defense was suffocating for Penn State. Um, but he's big. He's physical. I think he runs good short routes. Um, he obviously needs to work more at getting a little more explosive and, and being a little bit more just overall as a receiver. And then catching the football is something we've heard of, like making sure that's consistent. But that's a, that's a fine too deep, especially if you know that Lambert Smith can flip over to that X whenever you want because he's played that previously. So the depth and flexibility is on the roster where then you can have Liam Clifford come in and you can have a, a you know red zone package with a lot of tall receivers. You can have a speed or a deep threat package, and then you can mix and match and find these guys. So um, it might not be a linear too deep, but it is getting closer to that where they do have the bodies to mix and match, um, or play straight up. Here's our one, two, here's our one, two, and here's our one, two at each position. So, uh, a couple things have to break their way. The young guys have to take some sort of step and Marcus Hagens has to bring some sort of progress to the position where there wasn't progress previously. Um, a lot of guys were lagging behind that have talent. So Hagens being able to get these guys to play up to their potential that's a huge part of it, but I think that they do have the depth and the flexibility positions to to have a, a solid receiving core, even if it doesn't have one or two superstars, which I still think that is the best way to go is have, you know, funnel the offense through one position or player. Less than a minute left, not to open a can of worms, yep. but there's going to be a new quarterback for the first time in several years. What effect does that have on the wide receiver position on what kind of routes they run where the ball yeah. is going to be delivered uh it makes a huge difference because i've talked about this in so many different ways um balance on offense is not run pass balance on offense is having credible threats at every part of the field so you have to find somebody on the outside to be a credible threat because that then you can't shade safeties over the box you know if they're lining up over the slot you have to find credible threats deep short intermediate all those things, plus the running game, that makes the quarterback give him a clean picture because you can't do as much exotic stuff on defense. Makes it simpler for him. Very good, T. Frank. All right, stick with us next quarter, quarter three. We take your questions and we ask T. Frank. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. That means it's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions for T. Frank. And if you want to submit a question, all you got to do, download our app, Keystone Sports. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button. And this segment's brought to you by our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com with all the great barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, and even the great Bloody Mary mix. All right, T. Frank, let me start here with Joe from Jeanette, who says, Can you give me some concrete examples of how NIL works? Does some shady guy drop a bag of money in the dead of night outside the dorm door of a player? I thought before it went into effect, players would get paid for doing local radio, TV commercials, or signing autographs. Please help me understand how a player benefits in down-to-earth terms, like how cash gets into his bank account. T. Frank, I'm going to start with this. (laughs) You are not an expert on NIL. I am not an expert on NIL. When I got uh, Joe's question, I thought it was an important question. Neither one of us are best prepared to answer it. So we're going to bring an expert in. Stick around, Joe. Quarter number four is going to be dedicated to your question. We're going to bring someone in who knows what he's talking about and will answer the question. So with that in mind, let's get... (laughs) I could see you just wiping your brow. Yeah. Good thing yeah. I don't have to answer that question. So I, I have Let's... done some I have done a, just a small amount of reporting on NIL. And by that, I mean, I've asked my experts questions and I've talked to some people. And the answer is like, it's all of it. You know, it's all there. However, you want to funnel money, money to these kids. You can you can find any creative solution to get these kids money now. So, you know, whether it's the collective or it's an individual business or whatever, you, if you are motivated to get these guys money, you can do it. Um, and there are various levels of legality, but it is all mostly legal now. Our guest is from a prominent Penn State 
collective. So he knows it inside and out, and I think he'll, he'll very much help us with that. So let's get to more your area of expertise, T. Frank. So I'm going to Jack in Jenkintown. A lot of alliteration going on there. Jack, Jenkintown. Hey, T. Frank, absolutely love your analysis. That's the reason for my question. Can you give me one thing that you would do differently strategically if you were coaching my beloved Nittany Lions? Oh, that's a great question. Maybe this is entirely recency bias, Jim. Um, But this is also a bonus sort of like T. Frank's thought for the day. Marcus Higgins (laughs) is a guy that historically, when you look at the guys he's recruited, these are big physical receivers. Looking at the history of Penn State and their offense and target shares and things like that, the last time the X receiver received an equal or more number of targets than the Z was Juwan Johnson. I believe it was in 2018, 17 or 18, when they really kind of had a traditional style offense. Um, Since then, you know, Justin Shorter didn't really work out. Since then, they've really pivoted from that, like hard pivot. Um, part of that I think is part of the recruiting, but part of that is also necessity. So with Higgins in tow, are they going to go get some of those X receivers now? Like really hammer home that they want size to be a part of the equation, size, leaping ability, contested catchability, not just being six foot two, but also like having the skill set of size. And every single time this spring, I've looked at Marcus Higgins doing drills. It's all about the physicality of the position, breaking a tackle, catching in a congested area, high pointing the football, how to do these things before I've seen a lot of route running precision, things like that from Taylor Stubblefield. Um, You need all of it to be an elite receiver that does everything right. But what are you majoring in? What are you focusing on? Is this team really starting to look? We're going to go back to the old blueprint and not just have all these guys that are slot Z uh, hybrids. And maybe a couple of them can play the X. They might, be shifting an idea and to me like that is the thing i would change is i would make sure i have those talented players at that position to create my offense a little more holistically where we're not trying to manufacture um targets on the boundary in in certain ways so that's total recency bias it's not the one thing i'd have to sit down and think for a very long time what would i change about this offense and defense and the hierarchy of how they do these things generally i said this before i believe In James Franklin's view, he and I, not that he checked with me, but we have similar philosophies about how you win in football through explosive plays and through, um, you know, generating points and and passing the ball and that sort of non old school approach. But this is one area where I think I would I would augment that a little bit. Since I get to preview the questions, I get to think about them a little bit, T. Frank, unlike you who get them sprung on you last second here. Um, I've always wanted a defense to be more aggressive, blitz more, send more people in. And I was told by somebody, well, you're Jim, you're just a typical fan. That's what you say until you get burned. Manny Diaz <laughs> made my wish come true. Mm-hmm. Very aggressive on defense. So I love that. Offense, if I would throw in my two cents, I just love Katron Allen and Nick Singleton so much. I want to see even more creative ways to get them the ball if it means throwing the ball to them. I think that gets them outside on the flank and creates some things. How you do it, whether it's swing pass, wheel route, whatever, I just – 
see mismatches galore. You know, I just picture a linebacker trying to cover Nick Singleton and it not ending well for the defense. Okay, yeah. let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go to Carl in Mifflinburg, who says, T. Frank, after last year's Penn State-Michigan game, you said that Penn State's defense didn't get manhandled so much as they were caught by surprise as Michigan went against their tendencies and Penn State was caught out of position. Um, I, I think that captures the essence of your analysis. Yes. Yes. How does Penn State prevent that from happening again? And why don't more teams do that type of thing of going against their tendencies? So I thought about this this offseason, and I didn't give credit to Michigan's schedule. They didn't play anybody. Um, you know, let me let me pull it up quickly, but that was a big part of their narrative last year was we didn't know what they were because they played Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland, and Iowa team that did not have an offense last year, and then at Indiana. So like the biggest challenge on the schedule was Iowa, where they were they won 27 to 14, close until the second half when they blew it open. Uh, and I'm watching those games, and they're running their base offense against Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, and their running game is not efficient at this point. They're getting a lot of yards. They're getting a lot of explosive plays um, from uh, Donovan Edwards and from uh, the other guy that I can't remember his name, the guy who Blake might Corum. be even better. Corum. Thank you, Blake, Blake Corum. Corum. Um, but they didn't need to use scheme and tactics. They just ran inside zone, and then eventually their running backs broke a bunch of plays. Then they go against Penn State. And Penn State actually, you know, based on what I was watching on film and what they were doing is they were oversetting to what in to what Michigan had been doing. So they were very prepared to thwart what Michigan was doing. But then Michigan pivoted. And in that pivot, you know, breaking some of those tendencies, they ran away from the strength of the formation. They got Penn State, you know, overloaded to the wrong side. And that's and Penn State adjusted. Manny Diaz adjusted in the middle of the game, went back to some of their traditional stuff to to focus, uh, you know, refocus the defense. And they lost a couple of matches, you know, like, you know, they weren't big enough at certain positions, but they weren't getting pancake blocked and run off the ball by five yards. Um, so how do you prevent that? Uh, there's a little bit of bad luck here where Michigan was able to do that and win those games and not really show these um, added layers to their game, to, to their offensive strategy. The second thing is, um, you know, the balance of defense, the being able to uh, not have to dedicate so many resources to stopping one particular thing, because the other thing that came back was um, the slot receiver came back as well. The, all the names are, are escaping me right now, but the really speedy slot receiver, Ronnie Bell, that combination, they had so many threats with a running game, the lateral game, and then the speed to go deep, Penn State had to give and take, right? Um, and if they do have guys up front that can handle the, the the running game with minimal numbers, that gives you the option of playing kind of that blanket coverage and not having to give up, not having to overset one way or the other. Um, so improving your talent, but also, you know, I think adjusting more quickly and then having... See, this is tough because I don't think the, the scheme was all that bad. You know, they adjusted by the second quarter. They kept it close. And then a couple, you know, they were on the field for so long that fatigue set in and then some big plays happened in the third and fourth quarter. 
So it's the difference of two big runs in the third quarter that blew the game open and then Penn State couldn't respond. So it is, it's not necessarily a defensive tactic thing. It's an overall offensive, defensive synergy thing where Penn State needs to be able to score points. They weren't able to score points in that game very well. Um, even when they got these long drives into opposing territory, they uh, you know, a couple fourth downs didn't go their way. It's, it's, it's <laughs> as James Franklin would say, it's all of it. Because if you score more points and you keep up in that race, then it's not as big of a deal. But from a, from a, that's how it happened. And then the game unfolded in the worst way possible for the Nittany Lions. So I think that it's stay the course, be a little bit better this year, talent wise and overall. And I think that they can do that. I don't think that Michigan is so far ahead of them um, in, in an overall program sense that Penn State is going to not be competitive this year. OK, let's sneak in one more question. Dave from Pennsburg. The offensive line has gotten progressively better with Phil Troutwine as coach, but I never really felt they reached a consistent dominance like a top Southeast Conference program. Three quick questions. Am I wrong about last year's line? Uh, did teams actually fear Penn State's offensive line? Two, does Penn State have the caliber of players at each position to have a dominant line this year? And what does this line need to do better this season with the run or pass blocking to be a feared component? Um, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not get eye rolly about this because the nature of the offensive line is that it is never dominant. Like it's rarely dominant. You have to have five guys in sync at all times, not making mistakes. That's the first thing. Not making mistakes is a huge thing. And, and Penn state for last year, they've been making fewer and fewer mistakes as things go on. Injuries were a huge part. They lost Olu Fashanu last year. You can't replace that. Having a freshman tackle was a huge problem. There's a lot of stuff in here. So um, we're not coming back for quarter four, right? Correct. Okay, so uh, Jack and Jenkintown is our winner, but I'm going to finish this, Dave, from Pennsburg. You, you, you just need to see progress where they need to have some positive plays and um, they need to not make mistakes. And yes, they have the level of talent, but you don't get dominant all the time. That is just not a factual thing that happens most of the time in college football. You don't get pancakes everywhere. Very good, T. Frank. That's it. Quarter three. Reminder, quarter four. We got an NIL expert on. You want to stay tuned for that. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. 
truststatecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. I'm Jim Galanti. And as promised, we have our special guest, Bob Gold, Director of Alumni Relations for the Penn State Collective. Success with honor. Welcome to the show, Bob. It's great to have you with us. Well, Jim, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'll tell you what. uh, Here's what happened, Bob, to instigate your presence. We have a segment called Ask T. Frank, where our listeners are allowed to send in questions. And Joe from Jeanette sent in the question that essentially says, can you give me some concrete examples of how NIL works? And I love this part. Does some shady guy drop a bag of money in the dead of night outside the dorm room with the players? So let's get right to it. Bob, I I think fans, we understand um, the NIL as far as the typical endorsement deal. If I owned a restaurant and I had Drew Aller do a commercial for my restaurant saying, Jim has the best meatballs in the world. We understand that. We could comprehend that. But what's going on is there are these collectives, and that's what we read mostly about. And I think that's what fans want to know. How does that collective work? Yeah, and Jim, that's that's just a fantastic question for the whole NIL universe, which is the name, image, likeness of the student athlete to be able to do these endorsement deals uh, for the for for the different products, services, uh, things that are out there, charitable causes. So what a collective serves is kind of a, a, a clearinghouse for the, the student athletes at respective universities. They were formed because the university cannot do that. They, you cannot be a university employee to broker the name image likeness deals. So hence, collectives formed. Now, keep in mind, this law only passed on uh, July 1st, 2021 for name image likeness to become legal to allow for student athletes to receive compensation. So I think per your, your uh, listener's question, yeah, is there a bag of money that gets dropped? There was a lot of kind of shady kind of characters that did the money grab here on, hey, this is a new business. Let's form it. Collectives were designed to follow the protocol, the rules, the NCAA's interim NIL policy that diverted to state law, but to, to adhere to the rules and also allow for a place that provides the proper use of funds can guide the athletes um, into the proper decision making. So collectives really form as a as a as a place for, for the student athletes to go to be represented, representative properly, um, but also a place where money can be funneled into the third party, because again, it can't go to the university for name image likeness and for them to broker that. So you'll see this at every school. We in the news, we see a lot of these big money deals that are going for either incoming freshmen, recruits out of high school, or possibly even from players to transfer through the portal to go to another school. So in essence, it sounds like there's money to get a player from a high school into my school. Is that legal? Is that the way this was supposed to be, Bob? Uh, 100% no (laughs) on that. And uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, those are the stories that make the the headlines, which kind of give that NIL 
kind of that bad kind of name, right? People do, you're referring to Rashada, uh, um, Jaden Rashada from the, that went, that was promised $13.85 million over four years uh, to go to a certain school. Um, he has since not gone to that school and gone to a different school. But per strict NCAA laws, and what NCAA did too, just to point out, that they deferred to the state. So you have state laws as well. So there could be the NCAA guidelines and every state has a different law as well. But you are pro, you are 100% not allowed to use it for recruiting or for the transfer portal. So that, so that is something that is illegal. Now, certain states allow high school players to be con- compensated for NIL. Not all states, but certain states. But that cannot be used by an institution to say, hey, if you come here, I will guarantee you a million dollars. That cannot be done. Now, what a school can say is, hey, we do have an NIL program through our collective or several collectives that represent that are a part of um, the collective process for that institution um, that are available. But they cannot do anything until that player is signed on campus, done deal. Right. So they are attending the university. So uh, per your per your your question there, that is that is not allowed, not allowed, but it happens. Correct. You like to think not, um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm sure just as it wasn't allowed pre-NIL in, uh, in, in, with certain schools, it's uh, that is an element. But, you know, that's the kind of element that gives NIL kind of the, um, the negative connotation. And, you know, what we try to do is really provide the positive connota- connotation of the benefits that the student athletes can get uh, by, by utilizing the NIL process. Well, let me ask you this then. Are the players at least by rule, required to do something for that compensation. In the example I gave, hey, I would give Drew Aller money, but he's doing something in return. He's endorsing my business. So we can grasp that, understand that. Is there that requirement that the player has to do something for his compensation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, per the Pennsylvania NIL law, the compensation shall be commensurate with the market value of the student athletes NIL deal. So um, a better way to say it, hey, it's got to be like market value. That service that they are providing has to be equal to the amount that that they are paying. So for um, Drew's example is he is performing um, service that is like or equal to the, the, the money that gets donated. So, you know, it's kind of a gray area, right, for, for a lot of places. To, is that in involving, um, is it a product endorsement? Is it social media, digital assets, radio ads, print ads, appearances, all those sorts of things add up in, into a formula that makes it equal, right? So it's it's a lot easier to do if you're paying somebody $1,000 uh, for a product or service. Okay, that's that's very identified. You start getting to the, the larger, larger numbers, and there's more services that get added, uh, the value gets added onto that. So, and there's a number of different ways to do that, as you know. Well, now we have the situation where money goes to the collective first. So, and it could either be a large sum or even a, a much smaller sum with memberships that collectives do have. So I can give $20 a month and, and be part of this. So now, if the money's not going directly to endorse my business, how does that money then go from the collective to the student-athlete, and what does the student-athlete have to do for that money that uh, was given to the collective without, like, the designation to endorse Jim's restaurant? Right, right. So so that um, 
it, that, that this is where it, it kind of gets uh, somewhat confusing. So you, you, you break it down. So a student athlete could do a deal directly with Joe's Pizza. They can do it directly or they can go through the collective. You know, if they have a relationship from their hometown that, hey, my dad's buddy owns a restaurant. He's going to pay me this. It's a lot easier to do that. Your bigger name players, right? And you, you look at the Caleb Williams's, Drew's of the world. Now they're going to have their own agent that'll do product endorsements, but they'll also do it through us too. So we can bring um, on the business side, we can bring them. Hey, we have a business in State College, for instance, that's that's interested in utilizing you. They would come to us. We can go to the to the student athlete um, to, to represent that. So there's the business there's the business aspect of it where they can do that. Now a business can say, hey, we want to do women's field hockey. It's like, okay, let's go to go, let's go to them and let's let's do that. Um, now the other things you mentioned membership. So we have a three kind of bucketed model of how you can donate. The membership model that that you referenced has different tiers. So that's basically you saying, hey, I want to be a uh, and we have six different tiers. We'll pick the and we've named them the One and O Club. Blue White Club, Victory Bell Club, We Are Club, Legends Club, and Whiteout is the big one. Say you were a member of one of those tiers, you would get certain benefits in exchange, right? So you get a t-shirt, you get a couple uh, bottle openers, things like that at the different levels. And those are monthly or annually. So that's for the fan who's really interested in, hey, I want to get some, I want to contribute, but I get something back. The second bucket is that business bucket that we just talked about, right? Okay, hey, we've got um, a, a convenience store chain that's very interested in utilizing um, football players uh, in their promotion, et cetera, et cetera. And then we have a third bucket, which is our uh, Success with Honor Foundation, right? So this one, I think I'm really, really excited about. And I think a lot of the feedback we've gotten from people are super interested in this, where they donate into a foundation. Now, they can designate a charity that they're interested in working with, or we have a whole list of local regional charities that we also work with, along with the national ones that have lo local chapters. So the example of that is, um, a, you know, a, a group would want to uh, donate, say, X number of dollars into this. We want it to go to a charitable cause. We pick the foundation. They can designate a sport or players that they would want. So if they want to do men's hockey, they could do men's hockey. If they want to do football, it's men's football or a general fund, and we will apply the greatest area need which, as you know, is typically always football and basketball. So, so they therefore, that charity, we will work with them. We'll get the players, student-athletes out to help promote that charity, whether it's in-person, in autograph signings, promotion, you name it, like value, to benefit that. And we have several partners that we work very, very well with on that. And also on the sponsorship side, and you think of some things that are in your area, like Geisinger Hospital, um, and, and different areas like that, that we have fantastic partners who utilize these players. So again, that three-tiered model, right? So we want to have something for everyone who can help um, get, contribute into the, uh, into the NIL fund. Okay, less than a minute left, Bob. So quickly, yeah. where, where's NIL headed? Where is it in the future? Is it going to be regulated more by government, NCAA? Where is it headed? Yeah, um, well, that's a good that's a good question. Um, you know, the interim policy from the NCAA was again that July first, twenty twenty one, right? So, um, I, I think there's a lot of other laws that are, are going to happen. Um, the U.S. House of Representatives has a discussion draft in play right now for a national sports collective bill. 
Because you can imagine different states, different regulations. Alabama does one thing to make it better for a different school or Texas. Well, everyone wants to keep up. So it, I, I, I suspect there'll be some kind of national NCAA regulation or, or governmental regulation. Um, another interesting thing, Jim, is, is the California Assembly introduced a, a motion for a bill that would create a rev share model. So I think that opens up a whole nother can of, uh-oh, what's this going to happen and how do we do that? But I suspect that there will be some regulatory uh, body that governs this as uh, it gets out of control. And, and unfortunately, I think there'll, there'll be some, you know, some incidents that may, that may help that along. Um, right now, it's working uh, very well. I know we want to do everything the Penn State way, the correct way, and how we do everything. So we work, you know, with great steps with everybody else on that Unfortunately, Bob, we have run out of time. This is Bob Gold, Director of Alumni Relations with Success with Honor. If you want to learn more about his organization, it's successwithhonor.com. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. Enjoyed it. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.